Welcome back to Prologue Politics. This episode, the entire history of all of South America. Appreciate your time, Kaylee, putting this together. Yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> it might just be Chile, but let's not, you know, we'll see what happens. We're going to go over a small slice of the history of the Cold War and about a decade of Chilean uh, history and politics. Um, and then briefly touch on the impacts of that over the last 30 years following the 10-year period, which we discuss, I think. I think it's, yeah, because we, we covered a couple of countries recently where we said that it's hard to understand the current election without the context of the history and Chile being sort of a prime example to sort of explain how that's, as well as to explain how that's uh, pretty true, true in a, a lot of Central and South America. So quick things that i've learned about reading about this um uh-huh. is that there's a part of south america called the southern cone um <laughs> which is also not always the same thing and includes chile paraguay uruguay sometimes parts of brazil this just shows that there are different parts of south america they are at times deeply intertwined um but yes. also who knows what exactly parts are are involved at all times okay yeah. so general overview what we're going to talk about first things first what kind of is the cold war for a general brief overview in one to two minutes um and then we're going to talk about a more specific aspect of the cold war operation condor which happened in uh south america and involved the southern cone of south america and the united states uh cia over the span of a couple presidencies and then a little bit of what has happened ever since then in Chile and kind of those, the impact of Operation Condor um, and the installation of a dictator and how that impacts democracy and constitutions after after those things happening uh, and how those things uh, develop over time, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. A lot to cover. We could do it. <laughs> It's not a lot to cover. Everybody listening, do not be worried. Okay, so Kaylee, what is the Cold War in actually two minutes or less? Okay, well, <laughs> in in very brief, it's the conflict between the two major powers post-World War II, uh, really kicking off in the 1950s and sort of arguably concluding in a 1989-1990, but there are certainly, as we'll get into, lingering effects um and the two major power these two major powers being the u.s the united states of america and the ussr um at the time which is now more or less russia i guess for modern day reference but the ussr Uh and uh america and so it basically meant that these two major powers are trying to slice up the world in in different ways to to keep their sort of uh the word that is commonly used hegemonic power uh, but really just like to keep the most amount of global power, so the most amount of countries under their sphere of influence. Uh, and and it was a really tight, it was pretty tightly contested battle for a long time. Uh, and, and it resulted in, it was called the Cold War, which meant basically that uh, the idea being that it was done, you know, sort of through back channels and spies and not non-violence. But I think you'll find, as we'll explore here, uh, that it really did heat up in a lot of places. It wasn't always a cold war um, to fight for control, global control. Yes, and the, I think 
that's an aspect of why this is really important, right? Is where the Cold War got hot. So mm -hmm. the United States has seen where these flare-ups happen. They don't want Vietnam. They don't want those on the American continent, right? They don't want those in yes. North or South America. This is important because of the USSR's influence in Cuba as well, right? <clears throat> um, but we're not talking about the Cold War. But these things, it's coming more towards the American shores, I think, right? The United States yeah. is happy with the Cold War to happen in Eastern Europe and um, Asia, but not happy for it to happen um, on the American continent. But... Yeah. There, so there's also two two German connections with this, right? Is this kind of ends more or less with the fall of the of the Berlin Wall, where East and West Germany are separated, mostly because this is all in response to World War II, right? After everything that happens, but then also moderately important, or at least has a role to play in Operation Condor, is um, the Nazi Germany migration to parts mm -hmm. of South America and their involvement in Operation Condor, which I think helps to kind of contextualize how heinous Operation Condor um, really got at times. Um, yes. Was their inclusion in what happened. So all of this happens, set the scene, we're in 1969. It's the summer of love in the United <laughs> States. And then yeah. something happens in Chile, many thousands of miles away, from California in the summer of love in that a new president is elected in Chile. Yeah. So basically in, in the five years sort of leading up to the, this point there had Chile had had this, this sort of socialist candidate communist uh, named communist by the sort of American uh, from the American perspective, but he would have labeled himself socialist um, he lost in 1964 after the U.S. spent millions of dollars supporting his opposition candidate um, and intimidating uh, voters. Um, and then in 1970, September 1970, he runs again. Um, he's by far the leading candidate, but the CIA is working very hard to undermine his campaign um, and pressure. Uh, and then once he does win, they actually do pressure the government um, to not go the traditional route of nominating the candidate who has uh, won the plurality of the vote uh, and, and, and nominate the other candidate. They, they refuse to do so, um, and Allende becomes uh, the president of Chile. And this is seen as a, a big problem. As, as you were saying, like Castro has come into power in Cuba. The, the U.S. is very worried they see the they see Central and South America as their backyard, their neighborhood. They have control here, and at any cost, um, communist USSR cannot get a foothold in there. Mm -hmm. I think it's like sort of useful to like. I think there's like this quote that I saw I found that was a really useful sort of contextualization of how the U.S. was was playing and thinking about. Um, what the CIA's activities should be to, to, to protect American interests in South America. Um, there was a report done um, under uh, uh, President Eisenhower, Eisenhower by uh, General Doolittle, and he said, it is now clear we are facing implacable enemies who are avowed, whose avowed objective in the world is world domination, and by whatever means and at whatever costs. There are no rules in such a game here to, here. Hitherto, acceptable norms of human conduct do not apply. If the United States is to survive, 
long-standing American concepts of fair play must be reconsidered. We must develop effective espionage and counter-espionage services, and we must learn to subvert and sabotage and destroy our enemies. Um, so basically, they are saying all all rules off. All this is we are involved. We are going to be involved in democracies where we see our interests are threatened. And I think mm-hmm. when you look at uh, sort of just the initial lead up to Allende's win in the 1970s. Um, you see that that the CIA, that the American interests are really willing to interfere, uh, and this is really just foreshadowing uh, what will happen. So, in response to in response to this, right, the uh, CIA, along with um, several other um, countries in South America, who up to this time, right, did not really interact closely in a concerted manner right so all of these were not necessarily um uh working together especially um once the dictatorship is put in place of augusto pinochet which happens in 1973 um following that then there's really this concerted effort but that all happens after salvador ande is elected in 1970 he's a marxist he is yes on american soil (laughs) of the continent well and and most importantly, he's also nationalizing American mm-hmm. mines. So American companies own these mines, and they are absolutely outraged when he nationalizes them. And so this really, this really triggers uh, Nixon and Kissinger, um, Henry Kissinger at the time, uh, the uh, to uh, the President Nixon and Henry Kissinger at the time to to act swiftly. Right. So in 1973, there is a coup, right, and mm-hmm. there is a new president installed. Uh, Augusto Pinochet, who is the uh, the dictator of Chile, ending over four decades of continuous democratic uh, operation in Chile itself. And then, right, this leads to roughly after aligning with the ins- installation of um, Augusto Pinochet. Just two years later then, in 1975, we get the beginnings of Operation Condor, which really starts the the concerted efforts by several countries, including Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Paraguay, um, and Uruguay, uh, supported by the United States CIA to coordinate ways to root out and undermine any potential um, political opposition to the dictatorships in those countries. Yeah, so basically, yeah, after once... Allende is, is elected and he's president for a while. Um, the U.S. ends up, ha- because this was able to happen, the U.S. has to really go all out, um, sort of on an international stage. Um, they op- oppose everything Allende's government tries to do. Um, Nixon is quoted as saying they will make the economy of Chile scream. Um, so basically, uh, inflation reaches 140%. There's huge rises in employment and farming stagnation, all these things, but they really have to work hard at it. And then after, and 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 obviously this discomfort for the public results in two military coups. The second military coup, coup is effective. And Augusto Pinochet, as you say, he, he gets in there. And then that's when, yeah, the CIA uh, decides that they will use their sort of powers, diplomatic and otherwise, to convince uh, dictators, which they, which have managed to overthrow uh, or, or, or come in in, in these the, in the in the countries that you've listed to actually work together. 
and basically and 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 it is this is like something to to note here with chile when this happens that it has effectively ended a 50-year democracy they'd had democracy for over 50 years it gets overthrown by by this military dictatorship um and and then you have uh operation condor as you're saying here and it it starts like basically what what uh what is called the dirty wars across the uh, across uh these countries in southern america um, where we see the the sort of the U.S. government providing training in the support to repress and assassinate domestic political opponents, um, but maybe as you can imagine, and as very clearly plays out in Chile, this does this results in the torture and disappearance and and killing of uh, of thousands of Chileans, uh, anyone who is seen in 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 opposition to Pinochet's government um basically all the countries in uh in the involved in operation condor use this tool as to a way to like violently suppress opposition so that they can never form to overthrow them so it's it's quite uh it's quite an aggressive approach to uh to maintaining power but it does mean that you can't effectively get an opposition formed um but they weren't just disappearing like political uh, leaders or, or things like that. Their students were disappearing, uh, intellectuals, uh, like uh, union leaders, anybody uh, and everybody, and and off and sometimes even like just people who had nothing to do with it at all were just uh, were disappeared, um, and nobody knew where they went. At certain points, in uh, some countries, like mothers of these people who were just trying to find the their children who had been disappeared were also disappeared and it so it's estimated that about 40,000 were tortured and hundreds of thousands uh were forced into exile um and it was really effective operation condor because you're able to partner these dictatorships it meant that if i was a if you were a political opposition and you knew you were in trouble you couldn't escape to another country very easily um, because the paramilitary forces that the CIA was supporting in that other country would find you and then either detain you in that country or return you to your home country. Um, so for, uh, in, in the case of Pinochet's military dictatorship, a lot of exiled Chileans were also uh, the target, like the uh, target of, uh, of this Operation Condor, uh, which sort of suppressed the ability for uh, uh, you know, exiled Chileans, people who got out to raise the flag on what was happening um, in Chile. I mean, yeah. So I guess what you're saying is it was an effective tool. Um, yeah. The issue is that this effect um, was at the cost of uh, tens of thousands of lives, almost half a million prisoners, and um, this exceptionally brutal um regime supported by and really produced by the cia in the united states um going and really the united states coordinating these countries together um training them on um, what they believe to be effective torture methods um all of this is documented in what are called the archives of terror um, which include um pretty gruesome details uh that i don't think we're going to go into but it was um, really uh, a horrific uh, grasp that the CIA um, uh, implemented 
um, through the use of these uh, dictatorships against against these dictatorships own people right mm-hmm. is the important yeah. aspect and also that this this idea of um, political asylum that generally exists uh, is no longer supported um, and in, in in a really weird way right is that these these countries were not working together in other ways right mm-hmm. so they they were coordinated in this one specific manner um, but there was no other um, general political coordination between them either right so this was kind of a no. It, it led to um, keeping things unstable so that there couldn't be coordination except for coordination in ways that supported um, the United States interests uh, in that in the region right yeah and 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 you see that it, it really I mean it's such a huge cost uh, it but it works out for the US the Chile Pinochet's regime uh, comes in uh, and immediately uh, removes uh, all the the policies and progression that Allende had made t- towards a socialist government but again it's a, a, as i said earlier like it's this was a 50-year democracy Allende had been democratically elected this is, wasn't the year what people had wanted um and the u.s came in and when pinochet comes into power um he has this team of american trained economists um that i think we actually mentioned when we did the chilean uh, election a, a while ago known mm-hmm. as the chicago boys and and they they rapidly privatize like free market economy rapid privatization that really um, really ends up favoring the return of these uh, American companies that had not benefited from the the move to uh, moves under Allende's government um, and then they adopt um, like sort of a lot of the American style uh, economic and government structures. Um, that will then sort of continue to support um, Chile as an ally to the U.S. Um, and 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 then the and then they're also sort of able Chile the because of this economic success and the support from the U.S. Chile is sort of experiences a really rapid economic growth that is sort of framing it as this like star country in 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 uh, in South America uh, of success. Uh, even sort of post uh, Pinochet, um, so it, it does it does kind of undermine the attention that is given um, to what was taken to get to this point for Chile, and it also really un- undermines what many uh, critics would point to is like is again that that these American companies benefited, and that the there is really a, a rapidly growing inequality in the country as a result of the economic reforms that are then put in place. Mm-hmm. And so following this period of uh, five or six years, right, after Pinochet is installed um, from 1974, 1975 until 1980, right, um, there's then, I think in 1980, there's this big kind of phase transition in Chilean um, democracy and governance with this um, this referendum that happens, um, which drastically changes the constitution of Chile. And really that is what is having such a lasting effect now and has recently been brought up in, pre- in elections that we've covered over the last few years, right? So there's this huge change in the actual constitution um, of the country that was first put in place in 1925. And then in 1980, there's this huge change uh, to the constitution. Um, by a referendum that's held in a country 
under military dictatorship, right? So this stuff is all happening there. Um, And then there's this, you know, alleged free uh, referendum, uh, which really provides the framework for what then becomes the uh, remainder of Pinochet's rule until uh, the the late 80s, right? Yeah. Uh, so in, in 1989 is the, the plebiscite for the, the, where the Constitution is it, to be written, uh, but it is ultimately uh, seen as a, a rigged referendum. And it definitely, yeah, it's, it's, it's seen as constraining. It, it both constrains democratization so that it can't happen too rapidly and really prevents any move away from a neo, the neoliberal model of economic development that had been put in place um, under Pinochet's democracy. So, um, and, and it means that also, like, in, even up until very recently, um, there, we, or even to now, you still do see Pinochet's name mentioned I think when we talked about the election that happened recently one of the candidates was actually uh, uh, a, a supporter of the return to some of Pinochet's uh, and and, a, and seen as a Pinochet apologist um, but basically Pinochet could after the plebiscite uh, and the constitution is written by his sort of advisors and right-wing supporters um, he Pinochet can still nominate senators for lifetime appointments um, the voting system initially overrepresented the political right and made it very hard for uh, sort of a diverse range of parties to be elected. Um, and you would need a super majority to reform any institutions like the armed forces or the education system. Um, and, and so that became nearly impossible to address either of those. And effectively, these factors create uh, in Chile a political elite that, uh, that can keep themselves in power and prevent uh, any political reforms that would sort of create social change, which really creates a growing tension because you see a population, first a, a population that experienced life under the dictatorship of Pinochet, um, but then now younger people who have not experienced that, have only experienced democracy since, and want um, want to see economic growth and opportunity as well as social change uh, for themselves, but are not able to do it underneath the current uh, constitutional structure, um, and 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 until about and and there's there have been a number of um, sort of protests and attempts, um, but once we get to about 2019, we start to see these movements really start to pick up te- uh, pick up steam of of protests uh, to to push for push for real significant change and the suggestion that a constitution that was written under Pinochet's regime cannot be the constitution that is the basis uh, for Chilean democracy, effective Mm -hmm. Chilean democracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, so there are, I guess, several dates to keep in mind (laughs) to just (laughs) summarize, right? There's the original constitution in 1925. Then once Pinochet comes into power in 1970 or after Allende is removed in 1973, there's this new constitutional commission, which, Mm -hmm. Um, starts writing this new constitution for Pinochet from 1973 to 1978. Then there is a referendum to put that constitution in place in 1980. That constitu- that referendum um, wins with a with a two thirds majority, right? Yeah. So then there's the new constitution in 1980. Then there's a referendum in 1988 against Pinochet (laughs) and then following that there are other reforms towards the constitution specifically in 1989 and then more in 2005 and now even more 
um, recently, which have been more successful in 2019, um, were protests and everything, and then the actual referendum in 2020. Um, and now in 2021, um, I guess we're moving all the way up to modern day now, or um, contemporary times, um, there is a new um, president put in place and actual drafting of the of this new constitution going forward, right? Yeah. So, and and I think we've talked about um, before if, uh, in previous when it, I think we talked in twenty nineteen about the protests that were happening uh, in in Chile um, and the social sort of movements that were happening there. I think it's it is important to touch on that. Um, so, uh, what you were seeing was like a, a highly educated middle class um, that is still experiencing extreme vulnerability to unemployment because there's not there are very insignificant workers rights and health and illness because of the lack of healthcare is healthcare is privatized in, in Chile um, and and the and the ways that this was leaving them in poverty and then so what happens in that situation uh, is primarily young youth led uh, 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 protests occur after uh, a slight h- a hike in uh, met- uh, public transportation fares um, and they start protesting um, and dodging the increase in metro fares yep. um, at, in protest um, and so what you see is this 1980 military constitution that we've been talking about has sort of allowed it still allows the the government that was in power in 2019 to really to, to both call a state of emergency and really crack down violently on those Chilean protesters. And I think the image sort of of the, the police forces um, so persistently violating human rights, um, the, at the time, I think they said over 3,000 uh, alleged human rights violations from the past year of, uh, of, uh, uh, of protests um, that, were, that were some of the worst since the transition to democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there was a highlighting of uh, abusive use of shotguns, inhumane and cruel and sexually degrading treatment of victims by the police forces, sort of highlighted the ways that uh, this, the sort of the, the constitution, the military constitution and uh, the legacy of, of Pinochet's uh, military dictatorships were still influencing the, the, the democracy of Chile um, and really highlighted maybe the need for a new constitution, establishing a new constitution. Um, and so it's it's taken a few years because of COVID nineteen to a certain degree. But in twenty, uh, they, they there was a a vote in favor of establishing a new constitution. They voted about seventy eight percent in favor with a fifty percent turnout. Um, and now in twenty twenty two, as we we covered, they'd elected the new. Um, Again, in quotes, socialist uh, president Gabriel Boric, um, and and they have presented in I think they presented in June the new constitution, um, and there is going to be a referendum in September on it. Uh, it's interesting to note that currently the vote leans towards no, so not adopting the new constitution, um, <laughs> which will be interesting. But it it is. Uh, it's it's kind of an interest. It's a it's a really interesting, uh, wide ranging document um, that sort of envisions stronger government roles and social services. So you talk about the education system, uh, public transportation, uh, uh, healthcare, etc. Where and, and pensions and things where the where the government had been removed, um, putting giving them a role in there. 
um, really uh, pushing for gender parity in, in political institutions, um, protections of indigenous groups. That's um, an, a really interesting, important one because there's sort of an argument, the paramilitary uh, hangover, I guess, of, <laughs> of, of the, uh, that we were talking about um, has often been used against indigenous groups in Chile uh, who are sort of labeled as terrorists and then um, cracked down on very harshly, but there are provisions for indigenous uh, the uh, protections of indigenous groups um, and representation. And then there's also uh, an interesting component that we talk about a lot, uh, provisions for the environment. Uh, it actually states that nature has rights and animals are special are subjects of special protections um, and that fighting climate change would be a state duty as it would be protecting biodiversity, native species, and natural spaces. So it's a really interesting uh, constitution, but... Uh, very wide ranging um, and has been really strongly opposed by um, uh, by the right in Chile. So <clears throat> this is kind of off the topic of necessarily Chile, but more about constitutional um, presentation, right? And it, mm -hmm. I think it this these are just good examples, right, of the difference between I think when you think of constitutions, you think of them as kind of framework rules for which you can then make um, legislative decisions, right? Yeah. These two examples, right, including environmental protections inside of a inside of a constitution or providing the um, military police or the government um, with uh, wide ranging powers, are really ways to legislate with a constitution right so yes how much of that has gone into this like recent constitutional reform especially with the election of gabriel boric um and it's such like a politicized thing right like creating a new constitution so like what is the what is the general feeling in chile around that because obviously the the original referendum do you want a new constitution everybody wants that right it's like when you're leading up to election yeah. do you want change yeah everybody wants change um so if this constitution fails is there obvious is does it go back to drafting or do they have to go back to have another referendum for whether or not they want another constitution or what 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 goes forward given the the controversial inclusions yeah, so I think that's a, that is a really good point. I think that, and, and it is definitely a difference, like this constitution is being made under a much different Chile, uh, as, as we were talking about earlier, like, progressively, there have been changes to the Chilean constitution that currently exists, such that um, it is a much more politically diverse assembly now. So they have, to, they've, in order to get here, they've had to, the final draft required a two third majority, um, and the political diversity of the assembly um, meant that there was a lot of compromises to making the constitution. So initially the draft contained, for example, the nationalization of mining, and that has been dropped from the constitution. So there, there have, it has taken a lot to get there. And it, I think it is genuinely a much more, uh, uh, there's been a lot of input into what goes into this constitution. Um, it's also a lot easier to change. So reforming Chile's existing constitution um, on an incremental basis has always required either a vote of 60 or 67% of the Congress, um, depending on the provision. Um, and now the proposed constitution would lower that to uh, 57% um, with 67% for major reforms. Uh, so it really 
changes the threshold. <laughs> and not to say that that threshold hasn't been met before, because the Chilean constitution that was put in place in 1980 yeah. um, has been amended in 1989, 1981, 1994, Yes, much more than some other countries we've covered. <laughs> um, so given the number of amendments to this current constitution that's been in place um, and the kind of general direction, it seems, um, the creation of a new constitution, either why not just change the old one since you already changed it so much, or maybe we should codify these changes to be kind of more part of our um, existence as a democracy than they currently are in, in that one, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the, the big the big argument from sort of supporters of this new constitution is the idea that it's an open, it's more of an open document. Um, and, and that a lot of them are saying, we know it's not perfect yet, but we are allowed to, to change it. It wouldn't be based in, it wouldn't be as grounded in this uh, past of a military dictatorship. And then sort of the, the reverse argument is, yeah, what you're saying, where we've been, you, it hasn't necessarily been hard to change the constitution when you've wanted to. Um, arguably, it might become harder again because of the political diversity of the assembly. Uh, they don't agree as much as they uh, have historically. Um, and, and, and that does make it a more difficult uh, political scene. But I think many would see that maybe as, as being healthier in a lot of ways as well. Um, there's also some worry. So uh, the government is not the so Boric's uh, President Boric's uh, government is not technically allowed to campaign in any way on this constitution, um, but there's some sense that the no vote is somewhat of a also a referendum on their government rather than the constitution, um, and so there is some efforts to try and raise the government's popularity in the hopes of starting to turn the vote a little bit. Um, but that's like an important point. Like we've we've talked about ref- referendums are tricky uh in terms of when you put such important questions to to the people do they have the information do they uh and are they able to get the information to make an informed choice um do are they going to take the time to make the the informed choice again like the the turnout in referendums is always a challenge um so it'll be sort of interesting to watch those factors um as well but yeah it'll it's it's definitely a spot we should watch and it's coming out fast (laughs) yeah so that um, mandatory referendum um, is going to happen on September 4th, right? And as you said, and is always seems to be the way. So it's interesting that's like, do you want a new referendum? And this, yeah, do you want a new referendum? Nearly 80% support. And then what should the actual referendum be? Once things are actually going to change and impact you, right? It's always, it always seems like it's, it's basically 50%. Like it's currently just about uh, a month before that referendum will take place and it's 51 percent plan on rejecting the new constitution um, mm-hmm. just because that's the way that things are always divvied up right you do as much as you can to try to get to 50 percent, and then people just split and split and split and it keeps moving until it gets to 50 percent. and it's just so and it, it is just for, for a voter it is always easier to stay with the same it's a harder say it's, it is a much harder pitch i think to say Let's go with this big change. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I hope that in sort of telling this this story this way, we have like you can kind of see the through line to where 
uh, yeah, where Chile's democracy is now and the, the struggle it had to emerge, um, emerge from, I guess, to be at the point that it is now. And not just, not just even wanting to change the, the document because you can amend it already, right? But it's also important given the potential illegitimacy of that original 1980 document, right? Um, yeah. Compared to maybe just, I don't know, was there any discussion of just removing that 1980 document and calling it illegitimate and just reverting back to the 1925 constitution? Not that I've seen. No. <laughs> I, I would be surprised. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think it's, and, and so hopefully as well with this is that we think about, we, as, again, to think about the other countries, we have covered a number of them, the other countries involved in Operation Condor, um, but this, again, it includes Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay, Peru, Ecuador, and Bolivia. And so these are all countries who, uh, who have now been in at different stages of reestablishing a democracy that was really undermined um, from stability um, and and that and and by just zooming in on uh, Chile, I think you can kind of see um, the way that continues to play out uh, even into uh, 2022 and and future elections that we'll cover in these countries. So you can keep track of what's going to happen in these countries by listening to Parliament Politics and also by looking at that uh, the results of that um, referendum that are happening on September 4th regarding that constitution. Um, so that is this episode of probably politics on a 15 year, 20 year period of Chilean political history and the effects of a small part of the cold war on a small part of the world. Um, but this is just to try to explain all of the things that go into a lot of the recent elections that we've been talking about in, in South America. Um, but if you have anything that you want to say back to us about this episode, send us an email at probablyaboutpolitics at gmail.com or send us a tweet at probpolitics on Twitter or the same handle on Instagram. Um, and if you want to keep up to date on these things, ask us to be added to the newsletter or find it on our website to sign up for that as well. Uh, so thank you for listening to Probably About Politics. We love you all. We love you.